0: Hear the word of God from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, starting with chapter 2. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, in spite of great opposition." So you can see where we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so was God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that would God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is, and this word continues to work in you who believe. Dear brothers and sisters, After we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to, to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles." Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill in the gaps in your faith. May God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ bring us to you very soon, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God, our Father, when the Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Tony. Uh, so that was intentional to read the almost the entire section. We cut out one little part of it because it's one flow of thought from Paul. It's a whole section of this letter. It ends with an amen, and we wanted at, at Waypoint we want to hear the Word of God every Sunday uh, read in its in its in its fullness. So I'm Danny, one of the pastors here. Welcome, I'm going to put this, let me see, I'll put it right in here. Um, so good to be with you. I, now for some of you who've heard me preach, the last like four times I preached, every week there was more props, and you're looking, you're like, I mean like four, four times ago there was like one thing on stage, and then there was a few things, and then the last time the stage, I mean this whole area was covered with stuff. So I don't have any props today, and I base the props on the passage. So there's there's nothing in this passage that really. Uh, it's not like the Ezekiel passage where I could rebuild Jerusalem up here, but I do I do have one prop. But for this morning, oh, and I'm gonna try the iPad. In the first service, it was kind of a disaster because I didn't have the verse numbers on here. But we're gonna try it again. We're gonna try it again, and I'm gonna try to um, just look at this text and have God teach us through it. So. We're in a sermon series in 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to put up um, just a one-sentence summary of 1 Thessalonians by New Testament scholar Graham Baynon, a, a pastor in England. He says, 1 Thessalonians is about be reassured in the truth of the gospel and press on in living it out despite opposition until Jesus returns. That's good, right? So I could just sit down, just do that, and you'll be okay and it's a, it's a really amazing letter. it's encouraging there's paul is is, is helping this church through this letter. Uh, but let's look at the context of this letter what's and Peter alluded to talked about this last week, so I'm going to continue on that analogy and i want to i want to imagine if let's say you, you you made a lot of money in business you made a, ten million dollars, 20 million dollars and you just you prayed about it, and you're like, God, I got to invest it somewhere. I want to invest it in Your kingdom. So you pray about it. You talk to different municipalities. You talk to different Christians. You, you just kind of look at where some needs, and you feel good about creating like kind of preschool, after school programs in areas that really need them. And you start setting these up, you hire people, you, you're, you're doing every, trying to do everything right. Be humble, not take ownership of it, but really trust God with the people who are supposed to be doing it. You're, you're just trying to do everything you can to make sure that that program is what it's intended to be, to help children and families. You're, try, you're, you're, you're going above and beyond to make sure that you don't make the mistakes that previous people have made doing similar type nonprofit organizations. And you start setting up programs, and it's going well. You set up one here, you set up one there, and then you set up one, and it's going well. And then all of a sudden, the local people are jealous of you, the success that you're having, and even some other Christians are jealous, and, and they just start putting loopholes and adversity and, and problems for you, and then they throw you into prison, or arrest you or try to come up with some ways to keep you from being able to do this thing that you felt like God called you to do and was was the right thing to do? How how discouraged would you be if you were really excited about it and you thought that I could set this up because this is what God's called me to do and everything kind of doesn't work out? That's a little bit similar to what's going on with Paul. So Paul and Silas are... Paul and, and he, his companions are called to go plant churches throughout the Greek-speaking world. And they see a lot of success. They also see a lot of persecution and troubles and trials. But let's look at Acts chapter 17 and kind of get a glimpse of where we're at with this. So it says, When Paul and Silas left the prison... Okay, so that's <laughs> things aren't going well. Like, they ended up in prison. They returned to the home of Lydia. They were met... Uh, There they met with the believers and they encouraged them once more. Then they left town. It says Paul and Silas then traveled through the town, a couple towns. They came to Thessalonica, which is Thessalonians, with the letter that we're reading today. He's writing this about a couple years after this account, at least a year after, when there was where there was a Jewish synagogue. Paul, as was a custom, he went to the synagogue service for three Sabbaths in a row. He used the scriptures to reason with the people. So. He goes from being arrested for speaking in the synagogues in Philippi immediately to another town in the same country under the same Roman jurisdiction to doing the same thing that got had arrested in the previous town. It has a similar vibe to a lot of the civil rights uh, people who worked with civil rights in the 50s and 60s. They would get arrested in one town for a peaceful protest, and then they would just move on to the next place and do the same thing because they knew that that's what they were called to do to fight for justice in these places. And Paul is doing that. So he goes to the synagogue for three weeks in a row. And he explains that the prophecies, he explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He uses Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel to prove this. He says, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many other God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So a church gets started from just these three weeks of Paul and Silas sharing. Now, some of these people might have heard a message from their cousin, or they might have visited some other towns. Uh, there might have even been some people who, in a previous place, heard the, heard the gospel. This is the early, this is, this is around 50 AD. This is 20 years after Jesus. You know, like 20 years ago, Facebook was found. You know, so think, think about that. Or like 20 years ago, 20 years is not that long ago. Jesus has just died, and, and this, so this message is going out, and people are believing it. Uh, but some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. I always have to have one dad joke, so here's my dad joke. So if you grew up in the 80s, you had like a ton of friends named Jason name didn't really exist. Here's why we have Jason. It's a biblical name, you know, so your friends didn't even know that they were part of the early, your friend named Jason didn't even know that he was part of, his name is based around the early church. Um, so they, they couldn't find Paul and Silas. They dragged Jason out. They're like, you got, you've been causing trouble. Um, and Jason was the one who welcomed them. So they, they want this thing to be shut down. Like the local people don't want this church that's, it says Paul was there for three weeks. We don't know exactly how Paul, long Paul was there for with Silas, but it wasn't very long. They wanted to be shut down. It says, and then the people basically sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And as soon as they got to Berea, guess what Paul did? He went straight to the synagogues. That's what Acts uh, 17 tells us. So you, that's the context of this letter. Paul and Silas... Spent a very, very short time in this place, but people got really, really excited about the gospel, and Paul is trying to—he can't go back. He's trying to go back. He hasn't been able to get there to encourage them, and he's finding out reports through different ways, mostly through people traveling and, and bringing reports to him. Remember, there's no email. There's no mail service. It's just people traveling from city to city, bringing the message. So that's where we are in the account. And Paul is writing this letter to them. And this letter was written after he sent Timothy to go visit them. Timothy is one of his companions. Timothy wasn't there on that original trip. So maybe he, if he would have sent Silas or something, they would be like, Look, that guy, let's send him to jail. Paul sends Timothy, and Timothy gives a good report. And that's the context for where we're at right now in the letter. So if we read it, it says, For you, uh, dear brothers and sisters know that our that our visit was not a failure. He says, "You know how badly we were treated just before in Philippi, how much we suffered. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news his gospel to you boldly in spite of great opposition." So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we we speak as God as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, uh, as you well know, and our God is witness to that. We are not pretending to be your friends, just to get your money. So obviously, some of the people who didn't want Paul and Silas there started using, saying that, hey, remember their short visit? It was because Paul and Silas wanted your money. They were... Scammers, salesmen. I don't know if, you know, there, there, in the Roman Empire, there were a lot of people going around selling stuff, selling products, selling ideas to help people either make more money or do this or that. How many of you get lots of spam calls on your phone? Your student loan, this, that. You know, if you just give those people your social security number and your address, your life's going to be way better and all, these, all your problems will disappear, right? So for some reason, Paul... the. The people are believing this. So, Paul's defending his ministry, but how does he defend it? And this is really amazing, and this just shows us the humility of the gospel message. It says this As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. So, I mean, Paul's one of the leaders of the church, so he could come in pretty hard. Listen to me. I speak for Jesus. My way or the highway? But Paul says, instead, we, we were like children among you. And this word, uh, children, some translations have the word gentle. It's, it's, there's, there's some discrepancies on exactly how to translate it, but it's basically like an infant. Like Paul's like, I didn't come with power. I came like a child. I came gently. He also, then he gives the next analogy. He says, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. And actually, in the Greek, though, it doesn't even have the word mother. I mean, it, where it's implied, but it's the word nurse, like a wet nurse. And in their culture, I read a really cool commentary from Mona Stubbs, New Testament scholar, and she just elaborated on this more. But think about this. Where does a church meet at that time? In a nice building like this? No, they met in people's homes. Where, do, where were babies born at that time? They were born in people's homes. of all babies in that part of the world didn't make it past one month, died after one month. So the first month, the nutrition, the care, was very, very, very important. And Paul's saying, kind of, we took care of you like that. So it's a very uh, graphic illustration that Paul's trying to portray to them. He's saying, like, we gave you that. We didn't come in saying, hey, we got God on our side. Do it our way. No, we came in like a mother or like this nurse that wants to make sure this baby survives because we care about this baby in that type of detail. We want you to, to live, to thrive. Paul goes on and he says, we love you so much. We shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. And this is kind of the first point I want us to think of today, is that Paul saw his mission as focus, not only at winning converts, but training them up worthy to God and to showing them how to live this life. He, he literally said, we want to show you our lives. It's not just about winning you over to God, it's about bringing you in to this glorious kingdom and walking alongside you and showing you that. He goes on and he says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you night and day? We toiled, earning a living. He's trying to say like, hey, we didn't want your money. We loved you and wanted to point you to Jesus. Don't believe those lies. Just because we were there for a short time, please don't believe those lies. And then he goes on and continues the analogy. He talks more about a mother taking care of an infant. Now he talks about, we treated you like a father treats his own children. And then he goes on and he says this. This is really cool. He says, We pleaded with you, encourage you, and urge you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. This is good news, y'all. We get to share in God's kingdom and his glory. Imagine if you were just somebody who had no hope. You just were going through the motions. And you were trying to figure out. What what is life? What am I supposed to do? What kingdom should I follow? Who should I live for? And here comes Paul and Silas saying, the God of the universe wants a relationship with you. The God of the universe came and died and, and loves you and gives you purpose and gives you meaning and gives you hope. And you get to share in that. And it's not this distant thing. It's not you, you know, the God's here and he's ready to smite you every time you make a mistake. It's God was smited. God was hurt. God was punished so that you could share in his kingdom and his glory. We hear the word kingdom. We sing about it in the song. We don't, we, don't, we, it doesn't, we don't think about it much. But really, let's just use it in our modern context. How many of you, if you wanted right now, could just go to any monarchy anywhere in the world and just get to speak with the king or queen? Any of you could just go to England, be like, hey, I want access to Charles right now. Like, we we just don't have that access. That's modern times. You know, in ancient times, if you wanted to stand before the king and he didn't like what you had to say, you know, right, off with your head. But we get to share in this kingdom, the kingdom of the God of the creator of the universe, so, Paul's just trying to show them all of this. He's wrapping it all together. And he's saying that it's so amazing that how quickly y- y'all believed it. Stand firm in that. Don't be deceived. Uh, Nije Gupta, who's a New Testament scholar, says this about that section, showing about Paul's leadership and Paul's style as a, as a Christian leader. And I want us to... Uh, to see this quote from him. Um, Nick, can you help me find that Gupta quote? Sorry, my iPad is. It says, the model that Paul sets for Christian leaders is timeless. Integrity, transparency, humility, and hard work. So if you forget, if all this history and all this background, you forgot all that, all of us as Christians, and you may say, well, I'm not a Christian leader. I'm, you know, I'm in the bottom of the totem pole. If you're a Christian, you're leading others. Your people around you are looking to, to you. People at your work, people who know you, they know that you follow Jesus and you're a leader because you follow Christ and, and, and other people. You're going to have a chance and an opportunity to love other people. All of us should follow Paul and Silas's model here and Think of ourselves as the marks of a Christian leader are integrity, transparency, humility, and hard work. Now, here's the dilemma, especially in American Christianity. What do we put first? Hard work. He's a hard worker. He works hard for God. But there's no, there's no integrity or transparency. It's much harder to have integrity and transparency than to work hard. It really is, ultimately. Ultimately. And it's hard to have humility. It's hard to be a humble, loving, caring person. But those are the marks that Paul shows us here. So if, you, if, you, if a lot of this stuff, you're just like, I'm new to the Bible. I don't really understand everything that's going on. Just remember that all of us are called to integrity, transparency, humility, then hard work. And for me, as a leader standing up here, I've got to practice what I preach. I can't look y'all, come up here every Sunday and not live a life where I'm trying to be transparent with people. And this doesn't mean you tell everybody everything. It means you have a small group of Christian brothers or sisters who care about you and you share with them. And I'm going to say this and I want everybody to hear this who's part of Waypoint that nothing that you're doing you should not be able to share. We're not going to shame you. We're, we, I'd much rather you share it now before it turns into something that's out of proportion and blown up. you know and 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 it's it's we're not going to kick you out of the church for you sharing your sin and your brokenness, okay actually, we want to love you and we want to help you trust God in these things. This is what a church should be, so please be people of integrity and transparency, and know that we love you and we want to walk through this with you. don't let it get out of hand and then Serious consequences happen because you didn't deal with it, deal with the sin or deal with these issues when they were smaller. Share it, be transparent, and let's walk through it together. Courage from God to persevere despite hardships and trials is starts by us pursuing humility and holiness. The passage goes on, and he sends Timothy... Um, he sends Timothy to uh, go see them, and he, he calls them his pride and his joy in verse 20. This is New Living Translation, it says pride. In some of your translations, it might say glory. It's literally the Greek word for glory. Paul is saying that these people are his glory. And I think he just says that because he's rejoicing at what God's done. And he's just excited to see lives change, to see people have hope. The passage goes on, and Paul sends Timothy. And in in verse 6, he says this. I love this. Um, He says, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news. And that good news is the same word as gospel, but it also means literally good news. About what? About their faith and the love. That's the marks of a church. So when people say, when you say, is that church healthy? The core, core thing, are they a church of people of faith? People who really trust God with humility and holiness? And are they a people who love one another? The passage goes on and he says how we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter into God's presence. Paul is having a hard time in life. A lot of trouble, a lot of things are being thrown at him. You can read in, in Corinthians and other places, Paul's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. He's been thrown in jail. He just suffers a lot because he wants people to have hope. And he's thankful that this church is persevering, despite the hardships, despite the, all, all the difficulties. And he's just trying to encourage them at this moment of the letter. And he says this, night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill, you, to fill in the gaps of your faith. He wants to come and continue to encourage them in person, but he's praying for them. And he says, may God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ bring us to you very soon. And then he says this. He says, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. And just before this, you know, he challenges them to remain strong and stand firm in their faith. And then he says this. And I think no matter what happens to us in life, whether times are good or times are hard, we're to remain strong in our faith and stand firm in the Lord. And that seems like something we got to do. But that's not how Paul presents it at all. He presents us as something that God does when we yield to Him. So how do we do that? How do we... Like, what would, if Paul was here and I was like, Paul, summarize this section for us, for the, your church, right now, 2024, Durham Chapel Hill. You know, I don't know if he'd say this, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I, I think it'd be something like this. He'd say, Pursue humility and holiness. Remember those four words integrity, transparency, humility, and hard work. First and foremost, we need to pursue humility And holiness. And this keeps us from being legalists. This keeps us keeps our mind focused on Christ. We can't do it. We're gonna fail. That's the humility part. But the holiness part is it's better to trust God. His way is always better. He created us. He knows everything about us. You know? It's always better to use the object for what it's made for. I mean, you could use a microwave to be a step stool in your bathroom, right? You can buy a. If you have a child and you need a step stool, you can buy a step stool from Wal, Target, Walmart for I don't know, twelve bucks. But you could also buy one of those small microwaves, right? I mean, it's still your child could still stand on it and get up there, right? It wasn't what it was made for, but sometimes trying to use something that that kind of works, and that's I feel like that's what we do sometimes. We, we take the things that God gives us, and we were like, okay, God, I'll, t- I'll take it from here. But he's like, no, fully trust me. Fully trust my word. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey what I command. And my burden is, is light, and my yoke is easy. Like, trust me. So pursue humility and holiness. And the humility is, is so we, we, it's, a, it's a balance. But in, in the pursuit of holiness, God's saying, trust me. My way is better. I created you. I know what you need. I know what's going to make you thrive. Pray earnestly for yourself and others. Paul says he's praying earnestly for them. So I only have one prop. It's not grand or anything, but this is better than any prop I've ever given because remember this prop. Every Sunday around this room while we're singing at the end, the prayer team stands in the corners and they want to pray with you. And I want to give all of you a challenge. This prayer is not just for when you find out your mom has cancer. It's not just for crisis time prayers. That We should be praying for each other all the time. So if there's any burden on your heart, walk up to the, somebody around this room just, and just say, please pray for me. If it's a confidential prayer, you don't have to give the details. You could just say, please pray for me. I'm going through a hard time. But let's take more advantage of praying for each other. I'm so thankful in our community groups. I've, I've only been to our, my own and maybe a few others. But I've heard that the prayer time is getting sweeter. And as we grow in love for each other, that people are opening up more in prayer. Let's be pray earnestly for ourselves. We're in this Lent season. We've been talking about self-examination. There's a guide that you can look at about fasting and trusting God. Pray earnestly for yourselves. And pray for others. Let's be a people of prayer. And then that bleeds into what Paul says next. He says, grow and overflow with love for one another. And this is this is brotherly love, the Philadelphia love. Um, it's literally the Greek word. You guys know some Greek, right? You know the word for brotherly love, the love that we should have inside the church, kind of a sibling love. But... And part of this prayer, praying for each other, community groups, all this thing is growing in that. And how many of you have siblings? Like, they're your siblings no matter what, whether you like them or not, right? Whether they're being annoying or they're being really awesome, right? You, you just have to love them. And that's kind of how we are as a church. If we're a, if we're a family, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. But we got to look at the best in each other. And, grow and and let's grow and overflow with love for one another. And Paul doesn't just stop there. He says, grow and overflow with love for all people. This is the gospel. The reason why the, Paul and the church there is facing so much persecution is because people don't want the church, especially the Jewish leaders don't want the church, church expanding to Gentiles so easily. They want it to be a little more, they want more rigid rules before you can enter into those spaces. And the Roman people, the Roman officials, the, the secular side or the pagan side doesn't want it to grow because they want to stay in control. But Paul's telling the church, and he's telling us now, to grow in your love for all people. That's a mark of a church, how we love one another and how we love those around us. We say at Waypoint, you know, we want to, love the triangle, and love the nations. And that didn't come just from a pie-in-the-sky idea. That comes from the gospel. Paul ends with this statement, this section. It has an amen, right? Amen? So that means something. We're, today we're honoring the black church a little bit, so y'all should give me a few more amens. Come on. All right. Amen. May he... May God, that, he's, that he here is God, not you, not us, may he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again with all his holy people, with all his saints. Amen. How's this going to happen? It's going to happen when we're humble. It's going to happen when we're pursuing holiness. It's going to happen when we pray for ourselves, and we examine ourselves, and we pray for others. And when we love one another and we love those around us, this is when this heart change is going to really happen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that 2,000 years ago, a church in Corinth, I mean, a church in Thessalonica was started because people needed hope and, and, and your good news was proclaimed and people turned to you. I pray for Waypoint that we would be a people who pursue humility and pursue holiness, that we would be people who pray earnestly for ourselves and for others. We pray people who love one another and people who love those around us. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to, to be a church. And we thank you that you've given us your spirit, your word, and each other, the church, to do this. We trust this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.